Francisco. It was amazing. It was Cameron's lovely face saying exciting things about breaking barriers. Awesome. Good. I need the extra minutes anyway. So how's everybody doing this morning? Quiet mumblings. Awesome. Well, I am going to be continuing uh, our our series on on breaking barriers. I'm not used to using a a presentation, so we're going to give this a try this morning. All right. Awesome. So uh, we are in in the midst of our final quarter of the, the fire values, the core values of our church, and E is extending the kingdom. And this month, we're talking specifically about breaking barriers. And last week... Uh, well, last week when I was with Cameron in Vandalia, he talked about the, I think he talked about it here two weeks before that, he talked about the veil that is over our eyes. He talked about the, the spiritual um, component that keeps people back from understanding or experiencing the gospel that might be a barrier for us uh, in extending the kingdom. And today, I uh, am going to talk, maybe, not that that wasn't practical, but maybe something that I'm going to kind of talking more about kind of the day-to-day. What does this look like in my life? How do I break down maybe barriers that I have created um, in my own mind that keep me back from who it is that I um, am extending the kingdom to or who it is that I am loving, who I am pouring out uh, the kingdom to? And I'm, I'm a little bit nervous this morning because this clicker doesn't work. I'm going to point it this way. I'll point it this way. It is on. It's green. Hey. All right, so I'm talking about who is my neighbor. And, and, and like I said, I'm a little bit nervous this morning. And I think that part of, of, of my nervousness is that I, I, I feel the, the slight inclination to give a disclaimer prior to, to jumping into the message. And I think that any time there needs to be a disclaimer, that can be a little bit scary, right? And so... Just for any any uh, people that maybe like myself, kind of kind of kind of lean towards this kind of works righteousness kind of thing. Like we have to measure up in order to to be right with God. This is not a works righteousness message. So if you start feeling that, that's not true. That is not reality. All right, we are saved by grace through faith. All right, and that's it. No, no. <clears throat> That's good. I'm excited, Mark. I'm super excited about where this is going. All right, so we're going to be talking about who is my neighbor. Emily's running drastically quickly. Here we go. Oh, this is exciting. And we're going to be talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan that is found in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And we're going to be talking about two different things. The first thing that we're going to see is that love is an action. First and foremost, love is how we we live out as Christ followers. We don't act. We don't, you know, we don't do works in order to be made right with God. But because we are Christ followers, because we love God, we put love into action in our lives. All right. And so we're going to see that God's love for us is and always has been and always will be in action. We're going to see that our love for God is also always in action and our love for others, other people, our neighbors is supposed to be in action. And then we're going to see how Jesus kind of talks to this um, law expert or this young lawyer in the story and tells them that, you know, uh, that everybody is our neighbor. Really, this guy is kind of looking for this question. He's like, what are the barriers to, my, to love? How far do I have to go by loving my neighbor? You know, who is it that I really need to focus on? And who can I kind of ignore because they're kind of on the outside? And Jesus, as we're going to see, says, 
it's not about them, it's about you. You are supposed to be neighborly. And then finally, we're going to talk about how do we actually live this out in our lives. All right? So that is the plan for this morning. All right, and so you can uh, read with me. We're going to read through the whole story of the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy, apparently, he had been listening to Jesus, right? Well, he's a law expert. In this first part, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all that you are, this was part of the Shema. This was the part of a a prayer that devout Jews would say multiple times every day. So he had this part, right? And then in the the love your neighbor as yourself, this was um, from my from what I've read, from my understanding, that this is a little bit more of an obscure verse uh, that was found, it's found in Leviticus. And that, but we see that Jesus um, brought these two commandments together, right? When somebody said, Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? He said this, love the Lord with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. So either this guy was really tuned in to, to God's heart in the Old Testament, or maybe he had been paying close attention to Jesus, but he's got the right answer, right? Good job, Jesus says. Good job, Jesus says. Moving along. This was so good a second ago, remember? Remember that? There it go. No. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the law expert, the, the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself. Right? He wanted to make sure that he had all of his ducks in a row. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? How far do I have to go? Who do I have to really love so that I can make sure that I have done enough so that I can get into the eternal kingdom, so that I can, whatever he said, words. Um, in, number, in verse 30, he says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... Tricky. A Samaritan, as he traveled, see how you guys are? It's back. Very tricky. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, 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 and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Interesting. Then, in verse 34, were you going on? No. Reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so we see in this story, we see this law expert, this, young, this Jewish man who had, had studied the law, you know, and he, he knew what he was supposed to do. He, you know, he, he knew... Uh, 
every what's, what's the what's, what's the word I'm looking for? He did every jot and tittle. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? Every jot and tittle in in the law. Thank you, Graham. And uh, <laughs> all right. And so he really knew the law, but he wanted to make sure that he had everything figured out. Sorry, I got distracted there for a moment. Um, and so he comes to Jesus. He asks, "How? what do I have to do, right? And so Jesus tells this story. And for us, this story maybe doesn't carry the, the same weight because, you know, in our, you know, current, our modern context, we don't really use the word Levite and we don't really, really use the word priest as much. Or, and we don't know what a Samaritan is. And so there's this idea that, that we just want to... Um, I just want to explain kind of what Jesus was talking about here, okay? And so the priest and the Levite, these were guys uh, that were descendants from the tribe of Levi. They, when, uh, they, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and the, the Levites were in charge of the temple. They took care of the temple. They carried the temple around, the t- tabernacle around. And the priests were the descendants of, of Aaron. And so these, these were the guys that did the, the offerings. And so these were kind of the significant and honored religious leaders of the day. And so when Jesus is telling this story to this law expert, like these are the guys that the, the lawyer is going to be like, all right, here, come, here comes the priest and here comes the Levite. And they, uh, they've got their theology in line. Their doctrine is correct. We, we like them, right? They're going to do something good. And they, but they're the ones who pass by on the other side of this man who's left for, for dead on the side of the road. And there's this idea that it, the story doesn't really say, but in the Old Testament law, there's this, uh, uh, the people are warned from touching touching dead, dead bodies, right? And so they're not supposed to touch this dead body. It'd make them unclean. They probably have something to do. They don't have really time to deal with that. And so in a sense, I'm kind of reading between the lines here, okay? In a sense, we could say maybe they're really trying to, to follow the law by avoiding this dead body, and they're continuing on to Jericho or Jerusalem, Whichever. And, and so, but they, they do pass by. And then a Samaritan comes. And a Samaritan was despised and was hated by the Jews. And they were seen as traitors to Israel. These were guys uh, that kind of abandoned um, the, the righteousness of God. They uh, intermarried with pagans. And they were just a hated and despised people group. And so I tried to think, you know, who are the Levites and the priests and the, the Samaritans in, in our day? And I came up with a pretty offensive list. So I decided to avoid that list and do something a little bit safer. Um, and so, so we can, so as, as I am wont to do, um, and maybe this is getting old, but it's been a while since I've taught here in Kalamazoo, so this is going to be okay. And so imagine that Jesus is telling this story to the lawyer, and he says, Luke Skywalker comes walking by, and he sees a, a, a nearly dead body. But Luke Skywalker just continues walking past. And we're like, well, that's, that's really disappointing, because Luke is pretty awesome, right? He's uh, a Jedi master. But he probably has a lot going on. You know, he has, he's pro- maybe he's going to go find some Padawans and he's going to, to raise some people up or he's got to go talk to Yoda. He's probably got something really important to do. And so we're going to let that go. We're going to let Luke go, right? And then what happens? All right, but here comes... Oh, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi also walking down the road on his way to Jericho or 
I don't know, Sullust? If you're in a Star Wars or Dantooine, Tatooine? Alderaan? No? Okay. All right. Um, and so uh, Obi-Wan comes walking down the road, and he also just forget, kind of leaves this, this guy on the side of the road and continues on his way. And then here comes, so Jesus is telling this story to us in our context that we can understand, or the few of us who really love Star Wars. That, so here comes, all right, Obi-Wan and Luke have, have left this guy for dead, and here comes Darth Vader. <laughs> And, he's, and, and, and when Darth Vader enters the story, you're like, this guy, there, there's something about this guy that I don't like. We all remember the scene, right? The, 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 the Tantive Four is taken over by the, the Star Destroyer. And you get, there's a battle. The doors open. There's smoke. And here comes Darth Vader. And we don't know anything about Darth Vader at this point, except that he's super tall. He's wearing all black. And he has that weird breathing thing, right? <laughs> And we are, we don't know, we don't like him, right? We immediately don't like him. And so that's kind of that same feeling. When the Samaritan comes on the scene, the, the law expert is like, I don't like this guy. I do not like where this is going. What's going to happen? He's probably going to, maybe he's going to stomp on the head of the guy that was left, uh, that was left for dead. And he's going to take maybe whatever remaining money the guy has. That's probably what's going to happen. But here comes Darth Samaritan. <laughs> And he, he looks down, and there is a, a nearly dead body. And Darth Samaritan goes over to the dead body, and he gets down. And you're like, uh-oh, he's about, he's going to force choke him. Maybe force lightning. We don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to be terrible. And Va- Darth, Darth Samaritan, that's a great example. Darth Samaritan picks up, because he's super strong. He's, he's more machine than man now. So he picks up the, the, the guy left for dead and puts him on his donkey. Why does Darth Vader have a donkey? Nobody knows. But he puts him on his donkey and takes him to Jericho and he takes care of him. He pours wine and oil and all this stuff on him. He takes care of him, right? So in a Star Wars context, he would, he put him in a back to tank, right? And you guys remember the back to tank? There it is. Lawrence's. Lawrence's for the win. All right. Um, all right. So, Moving on. I don't have time for this. Um, And so it's unexpected, right? And so this guy, Darth Samaritan, his theology is all messed up, right? He's not a priest. He's not a Levite. He is one of the hated people. And yet he is the one that stops and helps the man left for dead. And so Jesus responds. He said, you know, which one of these young man was the was the neighbor, and the, the, the lawyer, he doesn't even say Samaritan. I think it's interesting. Maybe he so hated this idea uh, of Samaritans that he said, the one who had mercy, right? And, and Jesus says, yes, go and do likewise. And so Jesus kind of spins his question around, right? The guy's like, who do I have to love? Who do I have to be a neighbor to? And Jesus says, no, you've got it wrong. You are supposed to be a neighbor, and we can see in this story that love was proven out, love was shown out by physical action responding to need. And that is what Jesus in this story is calling the lawyer to, and that is what he is calling you and I to do. 
And we can see that God's love for us has always been revealed in his actions. And so he's not asking us to do something that he has not done himself, right? We see that he created us to live in paradise, in perfect fellowship with God and with each other and with the world. So he, he acts this in this, uh, this act of love of creation. And then after the fall, he immediately begins the process of restoration, you know, and he removes them from the garden. He gives them clothes to wear. And maybe removing them from the garden seems like not a very loving thing, but I think we could argue if we had any time that it was probably the most loving thing he could do. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see this loving God pursuing his people, protecting them, guiding them, and leading them. We see he's always acting in love. And then when the the time had fully come, he sends his only begotten son, Jesus, to earth to reconcile us, which means to restore friendly relationship, right? Because we were God's enemies. We had turned our backs on God. We were shaking our fist at him saying, we want to do things our way. We don't care what you have to say. But even in that place, God sends his son, Jesus, to reconcile us, to make, to restore our relationship with God. So he, he proves his love by an act of sending his son Jesus. And then we see that Jesus proves his love for us by humbling himself to come to earth and by allowing himself to be crucified. All right, so we can see that God's love for us is real because he he acts. We can see it not only in the words, not only in in the the text of the the Bible, the, what God is saying to us, but we can see it proven out by his actions. Excuse me. And in the same way, our love for God is supposed to be an action, right? And this, there's, a, there's a text in James, chapter 2, um, that I am going to read here real quick, verse, starting in verse 14. And it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. All right? And so this is kind of, a, this is kind of an intense verse, right? But there's, and there's this idea, and he's really, in, in context, James is talking about our relationship with other people that we're going to talk about in a minute. But what I want to kind of focus on is that our love for God, we need to kind of act out on that, right? It can't be just this kind of thing that we, yeah, I, I believe that, that Jesus is, is who he said he is. But if there's no fruit in our lives, we need to kind of check ourselves and make sure, man, am I really, do I really believe what the Bible is teaching? Do I really believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? Because if he is, what should flow out of that relationship of love is good works. This is not a works righteousness message, my friends. This is not that. This is the opposite of that. Because of our love, God's love for us and because of our love for God, we are created to walk out good works. All right? And so we are going to be able to see that we love God because of the actions, because of our love for other people. 
and our love for God. And we reveal our faith or our love for God through our actions when we worship. You know, we sometimes we, we bow down and as we sing and we dance, we, we serve, we study, we, we hang out with him. You know, Cameron just uh, wrote a, uh, an exhortation uh, a couple weeks about weeks ago about the importance of maybe just soaking or coming back to this idea of silence and, and solitude. And it's so good just to, to spend time with God. That is, that is an action, right, that shows that, God, I value you and I love you and I'm excited about you and I just want to spend time with you. So even that rest, which is, in a sense, is not, is kind of unaction. It's the lack of action, right? But really, we're moving towards God. We are acting in our lives to move towards God. So, our love for God is an action. All right? Anybody unhappy about this statement? No? We're good? Okay. On. You can talk to Cameron next, no, not next week. You'll have to wait two weeks. Um, our love for others is an action. So, let's look real quick. How are we doing? We're doing good. First uh, John, chapter 2. I'm just going to read a couple parts of this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. And then skipping down to verse 9, it says, Anyone who claims to be in the light... So, kind of a, another way of saying of being in Jesus. And anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. But anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. All right, and so there's this idea that if we claim to live in Jesus, if we claim to be Christ followers, we are going to love our brother and our sister. Right, and my... Uh, exhortation today would be that that love is not merely just a feeling of positive thoughts towards somebody, right? Because maybe our our friend the priest and the Levite, or Luke and Obi-Wan, if you will, maybe they also had positive thoughts towards this guy, but they maybe they were busy, they had a lot going on, right? And so they're like, oh, I really feel bad for that guy that's laying there half dead on the side of the road, but I'm ha- on my way to Jericho, right? Um, and so they may have had positive thoughts, but he, he, they are not the ones that Jesus said, yeah, he was the neighbor, all right? It was the one who actually stopped and stepped out of kind of his life or his agenda and actually revealed love by his action, so love for others is an action. Huh? So in John, the Gospel of John, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So here we have it from Jesus himself, who's saying, it's, you know, what, I'm, what you're called to do, what your purpose is as a Christ follower, is to love people as I have loved you. So how is it that Jesus loved What's well, kind of significant if you take a look at it. And in Philippians chapter 2, um, it says, starting in verse 5, in your relationships with one another, interestingly, Paul is again talking about relationships in this context, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And so we see that Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself, right? He's asking us to follow his example. And so as we look at Jesus' life, we see that he served people, he healed people, he loved people, he ate dinner with people, he walked with people, he comforted people, he wept with them, he encouraged them, he taught them, he forgave them, and he died on a cross for them. So there can be no doubt in our minds that Jesus loved people because of all of his actions. And then we can see a a similar thing in how the Samaritan loved, right? This idea that the Samaritan loved with actions. First, it says that the Samaritan took pity on him. Not not really an action, but we're getting close, right? He took pity on him, and then he went to him, action, bandaged his wounds, action, poured on wine and oil, action, put the man on his donkey, action, brought him to an inn, action, took care of him, action, paid money to make sure someone else could keep an eye on him while he went and finished his business, right? Action, 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 action. And it's this guy whose theology maybe was messed up. It's this guy who didn't have a correct concept of who God, but this is the guy that Jesus says he's the neighbor, It's not about who is your neighbor. It's not about who you're supposed to love. It's about what you are supposed to do. And our love must be shown in our actions that respond to needs. If we're not responding to needs that come up, we need to check our heart. And we need to make sure that we are following Jesus correctly. Ooh, that was harsh. All right. So the Samaritan says, what is the barrier? What is the limit of love? He's asking, who is my neighbor? Right? How much can I get away with? You know? And we run into that as, as, a, as a youth leader. You, know, you kind of run into similar questions, and, and adults do the same thing. Right? It's like, well, okay, pre- premarital sex is bad, but how far, like how close to that, you know, how, how close could we get to that before we're really messing up? Right? And so it's just the wrong question. Right? It's not, you know, how, how close to that do we, how close to the edge can we live, right? It's, it's about our own righteousness. It's about purity. It's about pursuing God with all that we have, right? So how, it's not how much can I get away with. I'm going to skip this for time's sake. It was really good. Wow. Um, just imagine. Jesus reveals that, <laughs> that there are not two groups of people, neighbors and non-neighbors. Because that's what the, 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 the lawyer is asking, right? Who do I have to love? But Jesus says, and this is from a commentary, rather than worry if someone else is a neighbor, rather than worrying if somebody else you have to, to love or spend time with, Jesus' call is to be a neighbor to those who have a need. That is what we as Christ followers are called to do. And I believe that being a neighbor, it's a virtue that we must cultivate in our lives. Right? And we see um, lists of, of virtues periodically in, in, in the Bible, uh, most notably Galatians 5, uh-oh, I've written down 22 to 24, right? Um, The fruit of the Spirit, uh, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like this is a virtue list. And I think that in a sense, we need to, to add to this list being a neighbor. We need to learn how to be a neighbor. But really, this list, if we read it in context, is all about being relational, right? It's not, uh, I want to get, 
filled with the spirit and so that he can fill me with love because I like to feel love and fill me with peace because I want to be at peace as I kind of hunker down in my home and just enjoy all these fruits of the spirit. But in context, the fruit of the spirit are all relational. These are all about how we are supposed to take this love, take this idea of being a neighbor out to the world. All right, because Christianity is relational. We cannot get away from it. And so we are called to be a neighbor just like Jesus was a neighbor. All right, and maybe it feels kind of weird, like, man, saying Jesus was a good neighbor feels like it's kind of downplaying his significance, right? But really, if we understand what, the, what he's saying here in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we see what he's saying in this, you know, this list of virtues in Galatians, and what, what being a neighbor really looks like, we can see that, man, Jesus was the most amazing neighbor that we have ever had. And we should model that same lifestyle with our neighbors, those that we run into. And the good news is that we don't have to just make this up. We don't have to just work this up. Like, oh, I'm going to go love this person and I'm going to go do it. And though sometimes it does feel like that. We can't just wait until we feel like loving somebody, right? Sometimes we have to make an action. We need to move towards it. And that feeling will come as we make a move of, of love. But we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live this out. We are filled with the fruit of the Spirit so that we can love our neighbor and so that we can rejoice with them and we can live at peace with them and we can be patient and we can be good to them. These are fruits of the Spirit and we are indwelt with that Spirit and empowered to do it. Amen. In conclusion, the question is not who is my neighbor that I should love? It is how do I live out this call to be a neighbor. And what we need is to have eyes, and we need to have ears, and a compassionate heart. And really having eyes and ears is incredibly important. But even um, the, the priest, right, and the, and the Levite, they had eyes and ears. They probably saw and heard what was happening on, on the side of the road. But what they're missing was this compassionate heart. And sometimes... It, uh, you know, showing love to our neighbor or being a neighbor can be painful, right? It forces us out of our agenda. It forces us out of our, you know, maybe our schedule. It forces us, you know, out of what is comfortable for us, right? And so this, uh, the Samaritan, you know, he's apparently... He was pretty well-to-do. He had two denarii. was like two weeks' worth of wages that he gave uh, to keep this guy taken care of. And he had wine and oil. He had a donkey. He has all this stuff, right? And so he probably had an agenda. He probably had a purpose as he was on his way. And yet he chose to stop and step outside of himself, step outside of his agenda and love because he had a compassionate heart. And so you and I, we have to have eyes and ears to see what God is putting in front of us and be willing to have a compassionate heart as we look for opportunities to meet real needs. And we just need to learn to, to embrace the pain, right? It, it costs people something to, to show love. We see that when Jesus revealed his love for us, it was painful, right? He, he humbled himself to become a man. He went to the cross. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was murdered for each one of us so that we could be restored into right relationship with God. And we see that the, the Apostle Paul, you know, he showed his love and he was whipped and beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and all this terrible stuff, right? And, and the Samaritan, he stepped outside of himself. He embraced the pain of losing some money and, and losing some time to show love. 
And so finally, I just encourage you guys just to every day as you kind of as you ponder this idea that love is an action and I'm supposed to be neighborly to everybody that I encounter, just ask God, show me what I can do every day to love you by loving others. So let's just close our eyes and let's just respond in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you proved your love to us through your actions. We thank you that you have chosen us, that you have called us, that you have accepted us, and that you have set us free from sin and death. And God, help us to respond to that, to be filled with that love, and to pour that love out on people that we encounter. God, give us the patience and the peace and the compassion to step outside of our agenda, in our timeline, in our schedule, and be willing to serve somebody else at our own expense, God. God, help me to do this. Help each one of us to do this well. And as we do this, help us to be salt and light in this earth. God, as we extend your kingdom, as we reveal you to this world by being your hands and your feet, by being your compassionate touch, your loving embrace in this world. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. Amen.